Welcome to The Latest Version, a podcast about change, growth, and reinvention. I'm your host, Betsy Bush. When the hard work of raising kids and caregiving is over, what next? At 56, I went back to school and became an Ivy League graduate. And now this is my latest version. I'm a podcaster. Together, we'll be exploring the missteps and triumphs, and we'll pick up some tips on the path to reinvention. So, what's your latest version? But if you find yourself feeling compelled to do what you meant to do, whether it's start a new business or start painting or uh, writing or whatever it is, the world is your oyster because the digital distribution world has allowed us an easier way to take expression and convey it to others so you don't need to worry about a grand scale you do need to worry about whether or not you're actually serious or not today's guest is laura lavi she's a singer songwriter musician producer as well as an attorney and to me she really embodies what this podcast is all about After many decades behind the scenes, Laura has recorded a new single, and she's getting back to being in front of the microphone. I'm so excited for you all to hear what she has to say. I'm so happy to have my guest with me today, uh, Laura Lavi, who is such a multi-talented, multitasking person. But I want to start with Laura's first single, In 20 years, we're going to hear her cover of Joni Mitchell's The River. It's coming on Christmas, they're cutting down trees, they're putting up reindeer. Singing songs of joy and peace Oh, I wish I had a river I could skate away on But it don't snow here You know it stays pretty green I'm gonna make a lot of money Then I'm gonna quit this crazy, crazy scene I wish I had a river I could skate away such a great single. I love the arrangement. Uh, do you want to talk about the fact that you, you, your husband and your son are, are playing guitar in that? That is really incredible. Well, we're, you know, we're a very musical family. That would be an understatement. I've always been a right and left brain person, music and now film, but also, you know, academics, you know, all the different things that go into becoming an attorney. Um, 
But the greatest joy of my life is that I married my bass player from my band, the Laura Lavi Band. And we produced one child, Cameron, Cameron Lavi Jones, who is an extraordinary talent, both um, as a as a musical artist, but also as a singer-songwriter, as a producer, as an engineer. He's 22. He's already top in his field, um, working nationally, and, and just an incredible talent. He plays many, many instruments. Uh, my husband was his first teacher, but then he went on to work with some amazing people. And I had taken such a long break from my career. Um, the fellow playing cello in the music video um, is Phil Peterson, who is a multi-Grammy, multi-platinum, multi-gold record producer and string arranger. Everyone from Pink to Taylor Swift to Portugal the Man and uh, Aesop Rocky, just a long list of people, a Macintosh, all these people. I, I started out as the attorney for Phil, and then he did some production work for Cameron's band, King Youngblood, and then there was sort of an intervention of those three and they came to me and it was very tearful and emotional and said, you can't sit on this anymore. You have put your life on hold for too long. So figure it out, let us know what you're doing and we will support you. So I thought about it and growing up, Jody Mitchell for any female singer songwriter is sort of the quintessential artist, right? Absolutely. Well, I've got hundreds of songs that I've written and recorded over the years. Some I've released and many I have not. And I thought before I start putting out original material, I should put out something that people know, you know, Mm -hmm. know this song and women in particular, it's kind of a theme song. And Mm -hmm. we put it out during the holidays. We recorded it. um, Me, Phil, Maurice, my husband, Cameron, my son, um, the audio and the video with Matt Clifford, the video uh, director, all at the same time in Phil's theater studio. Oh. So that scene that you see in the back with the snow, and the, if you look at it, if you look at the video, um, and you know the four of us sitting and standing, um, and then we threw a blue filter over the whole thing. It's it's having that ability in production and in music to be able to look at a piece and quickly create something and then Phil is a big believer and don't think about it just get it out go 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 and you know I used to ponder everything Mm -hmm. and and belabor and have fear and these guys have just absolutely just said go do it and the result was this um, song and video and I was scared I was at my age I wasn't going to be able to hit the high notes you know and um, we did crack it down a half a step just to give me a little safety zone Mm -hmm. but those high notes in the chorus were not easy and had to brace myself for them. And, Oh my God, Joni Mitchell is such an incredible talent. And to be able to honor her with um, singing that particular song, which is how we're all, we've all been feeling during COVID. I think at one point or another, just wish we could just skate away on a river. You know, I just thought this was the story of that song. Wow, that's great. And you're doing that after taking a break from recording because you're actually an attorney who has a law practice that works with musicians and filmmakers and the creatives in this business. And I picture you when I was going through all of your social media stuff, I thought this must be someone who has like 20 tabs open on her computer. You know, there's just so much going on there. Right and left brain, as you say, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm always getting yelled at by my husband that I have too many tabs open on my computer (laughs) and that it's going to crash. I've already spent money to just like make this computer fit my life versus the other way around, you know, just get it rehauled so it will do what I want. 
And yeah, I mean, at the end of a 2 a.m. day most days, because this is so much work involved in uh, managing a law firm and trying to put not just my career together, but my son's career with King Youngblood. And also I managed, let's see, McIntosh, Keisha Day, Chaprice, Jaden, Blake. I managed like seven other projects. And uh, I'm the general head of business affairs for Pink House Production, Lauren LaCroix's company, who's an incredible tour de force. She's kind of like a young Octavia Spencer, Viola Davis. And I'm sort of the wind beneath her young wings. And, just there's like a flurry of talented people and incredible projects and and then the straight legal work that helps pay for a lot of things and it is exhausting mm. but <laughs> at the, at some point you decided i need to do something for myself like i need to re- i need to return back to that singing that singer songwriter thing you have this great thing on your on your twitter feed um, if someone told me in my when I was in my early 30s that I would be in this place now, I just need, want to climb down off the volcano and sing, write, record, play, and simply focus on everything I need to express musically. I think that's so incredible. Well, I, I will tell you um, that over the years, I mean, we've had, I don't know if people know, I and mean, they should know, they better know, who Brandy Carlisle is. She's an incredible... Americana singer songwriter who came up as a teenager and then is a tour de force in both the Americana and the country market. She's incredible. Multi-Grammy winner. She's from our region. As a young, young woman in her teens, her first recording studio was ours with my husband. And I remember back in the day. And at that point I had definitely put myself on hold because I was the attorney for the Muggleshoe tribe. And then I had my own practice and then I was serving the needs of other artists and everything felt like, you know, I was looking at the world through the filter of that's for them now and not for me. I've let go of what is authentic to me. And I remember especially looking through the studio window at Brandy and Maurice working and thinking, I'm just like on another planet now. Like I, I can see them, but I can't get through this glass to be where I belong. And I had that feeling for so long. And then, you know, there's a movie, Dante's Inferno, that's about these people that have to rescue the grandma. And there's a, they're all up on this blowing up volcano and, and they're, they're up there and they eventually come to the realization that they have to leave her there. And she says that I leave me here to die in the fumes of the toxic volcano and go save yourselves. And honestly, that metaphor has stuck with me for so long, go save yourselves. And I even have it in a lyric um, where there's a line in solace that goes, I am lost, go and save yourself. You know, it's like that prominent in my psyche. And Eventually, I got to a point, especially as my son got older, and and his career takes up a tremendous amount of time because he's being produced by the same people who produce the Foo Fighters, and it's Mm -hmm. a big deal, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, and, and there's not a moment where there's not something to do for him. But eventually, I got to a point where I kept looking at these piles of hard drives that I have. You know, here's another one right here. There's just like tons of them. And this collection of music was just like burning a hole in my brain, and And I started to feel like I'm not walking the talk of what I tell my artists. You know, I tell my artists to go do it, go be in it, you know, and I know I'm talented. I don't walk around going, I don't have any talent. Of course I have talent, but talent is like 1% of this, you know, Mm -hmm. 
it's drive and determination and confidence and ability and, and, and focus. And you have to make it a priority. And I had always let everybody else be the priority while I waited on the volcano. Oh, isn't that the truth? I mean, you started, you know, music has been such a big part of your life since you were tiny, right? You were a one of these musical prodigies. Is that right? I guess so. You know, I mean, there were young people, men and women, who I think were more the traditional prodigy. They were like immersed in violin or piano on the classical. And I, I was playing... A uh, very serious classical piano and then very serious uh, classical violin played in the Pittsburgh Youth Symphony and all that kind of stuff um, toward um, my main teacher as a professor at Carnegie Mellon, Ralph Zitterbart. I, I got performance coaching from, um, at the time, the Pittsburgh Symphony's artistic director, Andre Previn, you know, just these, these incredible things. And I competed and I did well. I had a fear of memorizing music, which I think um, – uh, the solution was for me to sit on the manuscript while I was competing, which sounds ridiculous, but it worked. <laughs> what, you uh, absorbed it through your body or something? <laughs> but I was a poet, actually. And so my strength as a singer-songwriter wasn't really that I could like play guitar prolifically or something. It was... Um, I had a very painful childhood that mo- nobody knew about because we were very quiet about what I was dealing with. And... Um, uh, and I would translate in lyric melody the environment, which I still do. I live in a duality of that all the time. But that translation lent itself to some really great poetry. And that poetry then translated into what we now know as an Americana genre. Wow. Wow. You know, another thing you mentioned in a blog post or a Twitter post that really struck me was your remark that I've spent way too much time trying to be trying to be enough for ghosts. No more. Yeah, well, I grew up in a household with an abusive father and nobody knew it, how bad it was. And I was determined as I emerged from that not to let it define me, um, but to be able to comment on it with my music. But like many people, I'm not unique in this. Many people have dealt with that feeling of never enough. Nothing Mm -hmm. is ever enough. I've amassed Mm -hmm. a ridiculous amount of degrees and accomplishments. And I could go, woohoo, that makes me awesome. But really what they were was, is this enough? Is this good enough? You know, and when you're dealing with a father who eventually disowned me, you know, then he, he, he no longer existed. Actually, he was a ghost at that point. He, he finally disowned me fully, I guess, didn't get me at all. I, I, I married my husband, who's African American, we had a beautiful mixed race child. You know, my father said this child is an abomination. You know, that was sort of the end because the child is like, the most precious, amazing, beautiful, existence on the planet for oh, me and so Laura. that just oh, the end of it oh. but there's still this voice in the head mm-hmm. that the ghost is saying never enough never enough and that's the voice that lots of years of therapy and lots of songwriting and just finally getting to a point at 60 years old which is a long time to take to figure it out you know to say okay now I'm just gonna be me thanks <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I think that's true for a lot of people. I've, I've talked to people who finally when their parents, you know, pass that they finally feel like, 
oh, I can talk about this, I can acknowledge it, I can write about this. I talk to writers who don't want to write certain things because they're afraid their mother, their 90-year-old mother, will read something, even though if you write something, you don't have to share it. But it's the fact that that person could have some criticism of it or would not be pleased by it. That's very inhibiting. Yeah, I agree. You know, and what's interesting is that um, in the last month, I was digging around in the back of the hall closet, you know, the place where everything goes that you don't want to throw away, but you're just not looking at. And I found the eight millimeter projector and camera and a bunch of reels of eight millimeter film that my father must have taken when I was one years old. And I, I, my son and I set it all up. We were so excited. And I started watching this film, which was really documenting my first year that my father must have taken. And at that time, he seemed so incredibly loving towards me and my mother and, and just his life as a young father. And just, I mean, obviously the camera, just like social media now lies about reality, but, but there was this, this look that seemed real. Mm-hmm. And, and I must have thought as a baby that this was real, right? And maybe it was real then. Um, but it struck me just incredibly like what you think is happening in your very little beginning and where the world goes as you grow up. It's had a profound effect on me looking at this video. Well, they're not videos. They're actually eight millimeter uh, film. And in Mm -hmm. fact, you can um, on on February 19th, you'll be able to see a little bit of it because my son used some of it for a lyric video for his new song, too late too soon Mm -hmm. and the 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 lyric video behind it we just took the 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 camera and we project or the the projector and we projected on one of those old school pull-up screens Mm -hmm. and then we filmed it so it looks like you're just watching eight millimeter film we didn't even have to process it nothing that's great and it was just profound like when we were doing it uh, my husband was there my son his girlfriend the four of us just did this because it's covid so we're doing as much as we can at home and it was a it was a cool project and worth checking out um but it was profound to watch that video and realize um what evolved from that time of hope and love Mm. and i can either let the negative parts of it taint me forever and i walk around bitter or i can translate it into art and whatever timing that is because it's now i mean it was back when i was doing this in the late 80s and 90s too but it's really now i'm a way better writer and singer than i was then in my view um i definitely found my voice uh that just it's an incredible feeling to emerge from all that and, and know there were some interesting loving origins. They went bad, but uh, put it in a song, like mm-hmm. translate it into some art. That's, that's kind of how my brain goes. How do you feel that you approach uh, songwriting now at, at 60 than you might have done at 30? I mean, it sounds like the processing that you're, you're just describing is a big part of that. Do you think your songs are deeper or better at 60 now? I than- think that, well, there's an interesting thing going on because this first album that I'm going to start releasing singles in the beginning of March um, it's called Mermaid Under a Desert Moon, and it's um, 
the lost session. So it's 1987 to 2001, I think. And I accept that I did throw in a couple new ones just because I couldn't help myself. But um, uh, bonus so tracks, right? <laughs> I don't care, whatever. But in any event, uh, I think that I'm a better writer now, but there were some gems that never got out. And I think that the difference between how I'm creating now and then was, first of all, I, I think I understand the craft of songwriting now. I've like done it. I've been coaching other people. I, I can listen. I'm part of the commercial market. I get, you know, what you need to do to make a song uh, commercially successful. But lyrically I've, I've lived enough to be, you know, introspective without self-indulgent, you know, to stay poetic more. And I think I was more self-indulgent when I was younger, but I also think that youth is wasted on the young. No, I know it. (laughs) Who knows what you know now compared to then, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was still processing when I was younger and I'm still processing now, but I'm processing in a more um, proficient way. (laughs) And also I think when you're a parent, you are in the position of what maybe your parents were going through as, as adults with like, young children. So, right. I agree. It's also parenting is the most selfless thing you can do if you're doing it right. But it's wrong if you do it so selfless that you lose yourself, you know, where you just start living your life through your child. So it's always a balancing act. But for me, I have, it's sort of like I forgive my parents for their extremely bad behavior, both of them, but um, I can't forget. I can't carry it around with me like a big bucket of pain because that's just counterproductive and it's too heavy to carry around. But I definitely feel that I've been able to translate it in a way like the song mermaid under a desert moon, the chorus goes, why must we fix what never was broken, yet resist what is shattered and stands on the edge? Hmm. Promises made, we still leave unspoken. As we listen for the unwritten tune, it's the song of the mermaid under a desert moon. So it's that feeling of displaced. And Hmm. why do we keep trying to to peck it, peck it, our pain and, and, and what we think we need to fix? We need to, we honestly, we just need to get on with it. All current and future podcast creators. Tandem is a new podcasting hosting platform built by podcasters for podcasters. They offer hosting, advanced analytics, editing services, and a new way to connect to your fellow podcasting community. Tandem knows that podcasters are connectors. We want to start conversations. Their real-time member chat lets you tell your friends you love their latest episode or you can invite a fellow host onto your show. I think we all know hosts make the best guests. For all you veteran podcasters, Tandem can seamlessly transfer your show and carry over your subscribers and download analytics. Visit TandemPodcasting.com today to learn more. That's TandemPodcasting.com. You and I grew up in the analog years, and we're now in the digital years. And for some of us who have not been as maybe uh, professionally engaged as you have been all these decades, some of us come up and like come up out of the tunnel and it's like everything is different. How do you think um, 
the music business, the recording business, what you're trying to do now has changed from when you first started. I mean, I think of the gatekeepers that aren't around anymore. You don't have to, you can, you can produce something independently. You don't have to, you know, convince some, some guy at a record label to, you know, produce your record or something like that. But how, how do you think things have changed in your lifetime? Well, you know, I think some things have changed and some things haven't. Like you're sitting there with a microphone and headphones and a laptop and a flat screen and a mixer and a producer. And you've got a bunch of technology that's taking your voice and sending it through a system to record it and then send it out to the universe. That has not really changed. The medium and the technology has changed to make it easier, but that part hasn't changed. In the music industry, fundamentally, I don't care what anyone says, and I know this is true. I will stand by this in any panel, any discussion. A great song rules. A great song with a great delivery rules even more. So at the end of the day, whether it's film, music, whatever, but let's we're focused on music here. Music has to be good um, or it's disposable. So what's happened in this dawn of digital distribution and encoding music and streaming it is that distribution has become accessible to anyone. So you can make a song of people clapping their hands and grunting for 35 minutes and you can put it out there. Now, who's going to buy that? I don't know, but you can do it without a filter. But if you want to actually get to an audience, um, the filters are actually um, weirder now Mm -hmm. because we're dependent on, for example, Spotify's editorial team to put your song in a playlist to get to millions of people. You can't get that unless you have the right distributor or label to access that company. So the rules haven't really changed. They've just sort of, the gatekeepers have changed. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to sort algorithms and how's the best way to get the numbers up. We're always talking about the numbers. You know, for me personally at this stage, I'm sure I would like more people to listen to these songs, but honestly, at this point, for me personally, if I don't get them out, I'm not going to have closure. So I have to do that. But I'm still doing marketing. There's some great companies like Rise.LA that help with organic reach and all that. But for my son, who's a better example at 22 years old, we have a 12-person team working his record independently. We may as well be a label. And that sophistication of having come up in the industry allows us to harness the tools that are available now. But fundamentally, the rules of the road are... If you can play, you can stay, and a great song should win if you can get it to the right people. That's my view. Are you frustrated that the oldies kind of <laughs> dominate? You know, wherever I go, I hear the music we that we heard in high school. That that it, there seems to be less new music out there. Maybe because we don't have the the radio stations that are always kind of you know, looking for the next new sound, that there's always this dependence on um, music from the 70s and 80s, that that you don't, you don't get the newer artists out there in the popular culture, I would say. Well, that we do. We just get them in a different place. You have to discover them in different ways. YouTube is where a lot of new music is discovered. Um, to some degree, you know, the streaming places like Pandora and Apple Music and stuff, um, there's an incredible amount of curation going on. Uh, but it, on the radio, 
radio is an antiquated uh, medium. I mean, mm-hmm. still used, and particularly yes. in urban music, it's it's funneling through a lot of uh, music. But um, if 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 an older audience is who's flicking on the the actual FM dial when they're driving, then the music is going to serve that audience. That purpose is to sell ads, right? Right. right. So you you're, you can see the targeted demographic. But if you go to a hip hop station like Power ninety in New York or something, mm-hmm. you're going to hear what's going on in hip hop now. People would break an arm and give it to you to, to if you're in hip hop to get on some of these stations. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the genre and the demographic, but like in middle America and in, in different places in the country, you know, we've seen more Hispanic music come up into the FM dial because right. we have a larger population of Latinos. And so, and, 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 you know, uh, music that's sung in Spanish. And so the, the FM dial is a reflection of who would actually turn the radio on. It's not a reflection of what music is out there. I would say that Spotify and Apple, um, their playlists, which are diverse and gigantic, it's mm-hmm. sort of like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no shortage of music. And that's why these playlists are so important, because they lump in genres or moods or music to work out to or music to contemplate your life to or music to pull your socks up with or whatever. There's like something for everyone. And that's where the discovery process is. So if you're not paying attention to those streaming services, you're actually, unfortunately, because I've just literally in the last couple of years forced myself to embrace it. Hmm. Um, and I've discovered a lot of music. Like I'm a huge fan of this recent Taylor Swift album. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I loved her as a country artist. Um, I didn't quite get the youth driven pop thing she was doing, although I understood what she needed to do to express herself that way. But she is an incredible lyricist. She's a great vocalist and she's, a magnificent lyricist and she's just turned 30. So she's looking at the world through this Americana eye now. And when I play that album, it Spotify will turn me on to similar albums. Hmm. And to my shock the other day, uh, Laura Lobby singing the river popped up on the playlist of that playlist. Yay. And I almost (laughs) ran into a telephone pole, you know, Um, that's but fantastic. that's the power of this digital discovery process right. now. It's there. It's just you have to learn how to use it. Interesting. I want to ask you, going back to your recording career and getting back into creating music and recording music, do you have some advice for, for people who are in their own self-discovery journeys to reinvention or rediscovering old passions or things like that? I know you have a lot of wisdom to share. I'd love to know what you think. Sure. Well, first of all, different um, areas of expression are more forgiving with age. So the visual media of painting and sculpture really doesn't care how old you are. So just do it, right? Um, The visual presentation of acting, for example, um, there are parts at all ages because film, TV and live theater reflect us and we are all ages, right? Um, If you want to be a director, if you want to be an editor, you may need to go get some education just to learn how to do some of the technical things of it. But if you want to do it, you can do it. If you want to be a musician, um, it depends on the genre. Like if you wanted to do gangster hip hop, you know, at 60 You might look a little pathetic. That's a fairly youth-driven market. But what I've been told by my um, publicity team, uh, Ever Kip and Janine Brenier, is that Americana music really doesn't care how old you are. Mm. You know, it it cares what you're talking about. And Mm -hmm. you're going to have a lot more to say as you get older. 
I think that the advice that I would give is to look deeply into what is it that, as corny as this sounds, what is it that makes you authentic? Hmm. And what is it that's holding you back from allowing that authenticity? Usually it's fear. Usually it's competing with ghosts. Usually it's some excuse you gave all through all those years of why you didn't do it. And, 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 and if you come to the conclusion that you didn't do it for very good reasons, A, you had to feed your family, or B, you loved it, but you didn't love it that much, or, or, or whatever it is, then that's okay too. But if you find yourself feeling compelled to do what you meant to do, whether it's start a new business, which certainly during COVID people are doing right and left these days, right. um, or start painting or uh, writing or whatever it is, the world is your oyster because the digital distribution world has allowed us an easier way to take expression and convey it to others. So you don't need to worry about a grand scale um, you do need to worry about whether or not you're actually serious or not. Mm-hmm. And I, I do believe that no matter what age you are, if you're going to take on something that you actually want other people to pay attention to, you, you have to do it with intent. And, and for me, the hardest thing for me is everybody else's agendas get in the way. And, and, and I love them all and I want them to succeed. And that's where I feel like I have to fight the feeling of being left on the volcano. <laughs> wow. I think that's a great way to kind of wrap this up because that's that's perfect. And, you know, I, I love the message that there are so many different ways we can express ourselves that are not age dependent. Um, I was very inspired by the, uh, the 40-year-old version. I don't know if you've seen that, that film by Rada Blanc. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, where... Um, she not only she's a she plays herself as a forty year old you know kind of failing playwright who turns herself into a hip hop artist who has something to say because she's forty, and yet the meta version of that is she's now a filmmaker and uh, and an actor. So it was incredibly inspiring. If you haven't well, seen that yet, it's amazing. Yeah, I hear you. You know, um, years ago, um, when I was running Wide Awake in Toronto, um, we I realized that the visual medium of music video was essential to market artists. And so I had to dive in initially as a producer and eventually as a director, having no background in film whatsoever, like none but having a good understanding of what things seem to look like, because I'd always been a photographer, even in high school, I was doing black and white photography and printing myself and all that. And now I'm a producer, director, you know, we, I actually shot a, 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 a video for Cameron's, uh, my son's uh, uh, band in May due to COVID. We actually shot it on my iPhone 10X. It came out incredible. It won awards. It was awesome. And it was sort of like to answer your question even further, like, I could have said, I don't do that. I could have defined myself by, I don't, I don't, I can't. And at some point I just looked up and I went, well, yeah, I can. You know, it's going to be a little hard. I might have to figure some stuff out and get the right people around me. But once you get to that place in your head where you're saying, I can, then it's about walking that talk and getting to the place of action. And Mm -hmm. I am the biggest believer in visualize, visualize, actualize. And I think that's, at any age, essential to keep us vibrant. And I encourage that to anyone listening to this right now. 
Betsy, I wanted to mention something to yes, you. Yes, yes. Um, you had asked me about the song Terry's Garden. Yes. And that is actually, we didn't talk about it, but Terry's Garden is actually the song that was the mental breakthrough for me years and years ago. Because when I was growing up, my mother, who raised us speaking in metaphors, it took a while to figure out what the hell she was talking about. But, but she always used to say to me and my little sister, Terry, um, you have to go in your own garden and cultivate it. And I didn't fully understand what that meant until my sister had a huge mental health crisis um, right after law school, right after clerking in the Second Circuit and getting this big fancy job um, uh, with this big fancy law firm. And she was working a gillion hours a week and she just had a complete breakdown from it. And while she was recovering from that, I wrote the song Terry's Garden. And that song actually is about going, opening the gate and walking into your own garden and living in it. The books, the poems, the birds singing, the cats hiding behind the trees, the whatever it is, yeah. but there's only one thing missing from Terry's garden. Open the gate, little sister, and walk on in. And honestly, that's what I hope for everyone. I hope for everyone to open their gate and walk in their own garden because we're only here for a minute, and your garden is waiting for you. You just have to open the gate. Amazing. Amazing. And we're going to go out with Terry's Garden. Laura, I can't thank you enough for helping me do my very first, my very first um, podcast recording. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. In Terry's Garden, there is pain and there is wisdom in ancient eyes. They hide behind the maple trees. They let the sun in gradually And from your pain will come a road And on this road the path will turn And on this path there will be a gate And through this gate you will surely land Little sister, just walk on in. I said, open the gate. Little sister, just walk on in. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow the show at The Latest Version Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And visit thelatestversionpodcast.com for more about me and my guests. I'm Betsy Bush, and this is my Latest Version.